Greetings, building science enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by, well, you, actually. We've been reflecting on the podcast, its history, and the incredible feedback that we've received from listeners across the world, and we're absolutely floored by how many of you really care. And it takes a lot of energy and brain power and effort to put this podcast out while we're simultaneously growing positive energy, but we could not be more thrilled about each one of you out there listening and participating in this incredibly important discourse that's so badly needed in our industry. So here's the only thing that we're asking of you. Please take a moment, go to iTunes and give the podcast a review, and then send the podcast to someone you think might care. Our audience only expands as the reviews come in and more people are out there sharing. You all mean the world to us and we can't say thank you enough. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to construction, design, and architecture. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. <laughs> okay, hello everybody. Hello and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christopher, Irwin, your host, here with my producer, Miguel. Hello. As always. And today we are going to be talking again about our mantra, design around people, a good building follows. And we're going to be talking about it from the technology angle. And I'm really pleased to have here in the studio with me, Dr. Zoltan Negi. He's with the School of Engineering, the Civil, Architectural, and Environmental Engineering Department. And he's a professor doing research. And uh, welcome to the program, Zoltan. Good to be here. And would you like to talk a little about what you've got going on at your at Sure, your we can We can jump right in. When, so why, one thing we study, uh, or I think the most important thing that we study is how people perceive space or how people you know, live in buildings, how they, they, they interact with the environment, and in, in particular, how they interact with uh, buildings and building yeah. systems. Uh, and so we've, we've been just finishing up a study that I think that's quite interesting to your listeners as well is looking into how, you know, building control relates to, let's say, thermal comfort mm -hmm. as, as two relatively big topics in their own field and, yeah. and being their own fields. But it's quite interesting because we were actually interested in how they relate to each other because you think when you're controlling a building, you do it, you know, for the sake of people. <laughs> Uh, but but it turns out it's not necessarily the case, and we were intrigued or to actually find links or, or you know things that are not the same in, in, in both fields. So we did this study where we, we just basically looked at every paper published that these were in these databases that we looked at, Web of Science. So you automated that process there, right? Well, so. it's actually an interesting story. I, I, when I started, I asked my student to look into this, and we were all excited to look into this. And he goes away and comes back and says, way too many papers, we like 5,000 huh. papers. Okay. But, but he said, but I have an idea, and let's look at it from a data mining perspective. And then you use text mining to basically you know, get a quick glance, well, not quick, but a large glance of an overview of these this topics. And so that's what we did. We used off-the-shelf programs and we analyze the abstracts of these papers and what you get is like nice sort of bubbles of the important words that are you know happening throughout these 50 plus so years of research in these mm -hmm. two fields and we, which are important and how they're related to each other so that you get these images where you know topics that are close to each other and appear in the same um, 
papers are close by. So you right. get things like, you know, temp thermal comfort is close to ventilation. And then uh, then you're a little bit farther away, you would get materials and envelope and construction. And so and the distances like between these two things. So this is like a graph and the distances between these right. topics are communicating linkages in these abstracts. Co-occurrence is correct. So the farther away, the least often these two words would occur in the same document, basically. Okay. And so with respect to these two fields, so thermal comfort, you know, relating to people and how they perceive the environment and what makes them feel comfortable, uh, and building control, which is more about energy conservation and optimal use of energy, we find that these two topics are basically in as far away as possible from each other. Which was a little shocking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're controlling the system, but not to deliver yeah, thermal comfort. Exactly. So we're controlling, and we're very good at making this very efficient, uh, and and you know, being very good at maintaining uh, an efficient system and efficient operating points and things like that. But at the same time, we're somehow neglecting, you know, how people perceive a uh, a space. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of nutty. I mean, as a culture, right? So we're we're taking our talents and applying them to indoor environments. And our goal as a society is really still centered around energy. And it's, it's like we're forgetting that the energy serves the occupants and that the occupants want to be healthy and comfortable as much or more than right. they want to save energy. Right. <laughs> and it, it was a shift. So we, because we have all the papers, we also looked at it, how these things developed. So oh, interesting. So if you go back in history, the first papers, and actually up to the 70s, you had more work uh, from thermal comfort. Very low in general, but more from thermal comfort. Interesting. Uh, and the first papers in the late 1800s were about comfort, ventilation for disease prevention, right? So that was literally comfort in healthy people and healthy buildings. Uh, and then in the 70s, the switch flipped. Uh, we started also to understand better thermal comfort. But on the other hand, with the energy crisis, we started to care more about energy. And then all of a sudden, things took off in somehow in another direction that, you know, forgot about people or simplified extremely. Yeah. So nowadays, what happens is they say, okay, or a typical simplified research paper is to say, okay, we maintain, you know, a constant temperature, we maintain a bandwidth within temperatures that we consider comfortable. And that's it. But we do know since the 70s that that's not true, because, you know, as we perceive, as outdoor conditions change, our, our or how people perceive comfort or what temperatures right. we perceive comfortable changes, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily factored in, which seems, mm, yeah. It's, yeah, it's it, waste, we're wasting energy at some point. We're wasting energy maintaining these artificial levels that are not necessarily needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this idea of um, thermoneutrality, right, in the right. presence of changing outdoor conditions, we just assume, well, if I can just keep the temperature at one const constant set point, then my clients will be comfortable right. and my occupants will be comfortable. We just assume that, but it's not true. It, and it's that's not even the, yeah. And, but the worst thing is we know it's not true. So this is right. not something that we just made up. This has been known for tw at least twenty years. I mean, fifteen twenty years for mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. There has been indications that that it's it's not correct to keep one single temperature point, right? And and we know also the factors that play in. We know it's temperature, it's humidity, it's the radiant temperature, so the operating temperature, uh, as it 
combination of the uh, air and the surfaces. Right. Uh, we know it's airflow. Um, and so all of these things, acoustics, and then, yeah, so mm -hmm. lately also CO2, environmental quality. VOCs, exactly. Exactly. So all of these things play a role, but somehow get neglected to, mm -hmm, to simplify mm -hmm. things. Yeah, so we were upstairs uh, before this podcast looking at the radiant heating and cooling system that we have in the ceiling. And one of the things that was striking is that the controllers that are in each room, it's measuring these controllers are the size of a small thermostat and getting smaller, by the way. They're measuring mean radiant temperature, they're measuring temperature, they're measuring humidity, and they're measuring CO2. Mm -hmm. So they can control the ventilation system with the CO2 signal. They can calculate the operative temperature based on the MRT mm -hmm. and the dry bulb reading. And then, of course, controlling humidity is, is both for health and comfort. Mm -hmm. And so there's one of those in every room. I mean, we only have four rooms up there. And they go to a control system that's going to control everything, the, the MRT, the operative temperature, the ventilation. Compare that to the typical house, right? One thermostat. Right, one thermostat fits all, yes. So that's <laughs> probably not the case. Yeah. yeah. So controls, that, you know, it's an interesting, it's a field, that, a topic that can just go on and on different directions. But where we want to take the conversation today is controls from the perspective of serving health and comfort. And we have... Let's start out the conversation with like a new construction or a substantial remodel. Mm -hmm. So in the in the domain of new construction, almost every manufacturer out there now has uh, a control system that can be controlled by an internet-connected device. So we've entered the realm of the Internet of Things. And as we do so, the opportunity to have different control paradigms and different ways for the occupants to engage with the controls increase. So typically we have a situation where the thermostat is dumb and the occupant tells it, keep, keep me at this temperature. Have you done studies where you looked at the control system thinking on its own? So what we did, um, or, or the way I approached this, because maybe also just as a, as a little background about myself, I actually I did not study building or I, I'm not from a building field. I studied mechanical engineering and I studied robotics and intelligent systems. And there I spent go. a couple of years after my PhD in, in architecture and building systems in the Department of Architecture in, in Zurich. And, and and that gives me another perspective on things. So I'm not stuck in a way in, in mm -hmm, ultimate mm -hmm. thinking. I at least that's how I like to think about Yeah, yeah, things. I agree. Outsiders sometimes and have Yeah. That. And so so what we did or what we tried to think is yes, this idea of everybody likes the same set point is nonsense. And nobody knows what the set points would be because everybody's different. Uh, and at the time, what we could do is experiment with this with lighting because we had access to the lighting system. It was easy to install lighting monitors, light level sensors. So we monitored minute levels of light in about 10 offices that we had. This is in Zurich. Uh, we could also see when the lights were on. We could see when the people would switch on the lights. It's an office building. Mm -hmm. Um, and the offices were distributed across, yeah, south and I think north and east a few, uh, west and east a few. Uh, so there were different, you know, settings, there were different people, there were different, like some were single people offices, some were double, some were more people. Uh, and so, so we had a variety of things and we asked this question, you know, what is it, does it make sense to control to single set point? So we switched the problem the other way and said, well, what happens in the office, first of all? 
So what we did is just to monitor for a while, okay, what are the light levels? When do people switch on the lights? And so every time somebody would turn on the lights, we would mark it. So we'd say, okay, right before that, what was the light level? And then after a while, obviously two or three weeks, you'd have a certain distribution of, you mm -hmm. know, when people switch the lights on. So you can infer some kind of preference. And then we started turning the lights on. So then we say, okay, now we have an average of when people like the lights on, turn them on. And then when they're gone, switch the lights off. <coughs> and then after, yeah, we, dis we did a couple of studies like this, but we were always the same thing. You could see every office behaves differently, which is proving the, you know, the same thing that everybody's different and beyond that um, the light levels that would be in the code actually were much higher than the people like them interesting so you just by that you would save energy mm -hmm. um, because you know there was no need to keep it as high as you know the code would prescribe it even though that's also a healthy issue so there is a, a you know a discussion here but it was interesting to see that some people actually switched off the automatic control so yeah. we allowed that in the system we could say okay if you don't like it switch it off we gave them at some point different in interaction features so they could use the light switch that was on the wall so nothing changed for them mm -hmm. or they could use a web interface where they could actually punt put in their light level preference right. or switch the light on from the desk just to see if that would be used that was not used which also confirms my second idea that all these smart devices and apps it's a toy but it will not really take off because it takes too a too lot too much to you know deal with it and it does not add much of yeah there's like a people like it at first because it's new and different yeah. and exciting but i mean th this has been shown with um with being able to do in, in real time monitor the power that you're using in your home people would change their behavior for a while and yeah and back. then it stops but, but getting back to your control thing so you're, yeah. you were controlling lights and you and you ascertained the levels at which people turn the lights on and you're able to automate that by just observing the people and saying okay so you have these right. preferences so if we take that over into mechanical systems so heating ventilation air conditioning it's interesting it splits up because you can definitely start to anticipate a given occupant's preference in a given building or a given home um, for thermal comfort, but for health, the occupant is not the best sensor, right? I'm I'm right. probably breathing PM two point five right now, unaware. Right. So you need a different set of sensors. You kind of need two systems. Right. I mean, health is a different issue because that's that's not that we don't talk about comfort anymore. They would talk about providing basic means of you know mm -hmm. ventilation and health prevention, and that becomes more and more of an issue if you start in you know sealing off your your envelopes. So the more insulation you put to lower your energy bill, the yeah, yeah. more you know the less ventilation you have through the walls, which increases. Um, mm -hmm. Well, that ship has has sailed yeah. in some sense. Or, yeah. I'm sorry, not even some sense. That ship has sailed, yeah. right? We are required and we as a culture have decided we're going to conserve energy by making enclosures more functional. Right. And that means that we as a culture have now decided that we're going to have mechanical ventilation, but we're well, just realizing that. <laughs> in, in the U.S., that's true. In, in Europe, that's not true. So they're, they're still in that boat where you add insulation to lower your heating bills, because that's what we do more or less there. There is no necessarily air conditioning in homes is not prevalent. It's radiant systems and it's windows or ventilation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ventilation and ra radiators and windows. And so what happens is you add insulation and you win your rooms start to overheat. And you have another problem. And then, and then you're stuck because the, the buildings don't breathe anymore. 
Mm-hmm. So that's a European. That's what's happening here. Actually. So Northern European. Too. Yeah. Okay. So, but let's stay with that. So let's stay with thermal comfort in buildings, yeah. and let's stay in America because yeah. that's where we are right now. So, and you know, let's stay right where we are. To Austin, Texas, yes. it's hot and humid. So we need to deal with the heat and the humidity in our buildings. So you could have a sensor suite. Um, it would need to be based on relative humidity and temperature in the building. Absolutely. But then, with these internet-based sensors. We could be monitoring space conditions and anticipating an owner's right. um, needs. And what would be the ways that that would interact with um, privacy? Let's just touch on that one. Well, privacy is an interesting and important topic because, or at, at some point, especially if you talk about internet connected devices and cloud computing, yeah. obviously your data goes somewhere. and you know, whatever you may like it or not, you could use it for the good or the bad, just like with anything. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we're, so, so, I think, so. It, while it's not my expertise or to deal with um, privacy issues when it comes to data, I think it's just some topic that we will either, like, just accept as a society or somebody will find and we, a, a and we acceptable do right now. solution. I mean, right now we put on our Facebook where we are, basically inviting burglars to tell them we're not at home, and that's you know <laughs> that's a more serious breach yeah. of privacy than your temperature sensor data. So th- the whole thing with privacy is what am I getting out of it versus what am I losing? And I think that yes. one of the issues is that, especially in, in the home or, or residential thermal systems, mechanical systems environment, you do not see actually an added value on all of these things, right? That, that's the main issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have your thermostat, you're cold enough, why do you need to add stuff on that? I think that's the main right. um, point. So as so soon as you get something where you say, okay, this really is helpful to me, then the privacy questions will become different. Mm-hmm. And so if I have a decentralized cloud-based control system for my indoor environment at my home, um, can you anticipate a large value add for the average homeowner based on that? Yeah, I think there are issues where we can, so if you can control at least, let's say utility can control a large amount of you know thermostats like Austin Energy does in a brand versus basis, right? You can obviously, especially in the peak loads in the summer here, you can you know lower your um, energy bill, but also you know, make your um, infrastructure more resilient because you don't have the peaks, you don't have blackouts and yeah. so on. So that's the main, that's the main. So that's a societal Right, thing. it's not necessarily a personal it's benefit. It's not a personal it's a benefit, societal. right? So on a personal level, it's the question of that whether that adds you comfort or not, and it's probably not. You will only feel it in your pocket, in, mm-hmm. the, in your wallet. So if it saves you money, you will do it. If it not, you won't. There, right now, there is no incentives to save energy in a home, I think. Right. So what about if we go, what if we make the cloud computing that much more intelligent by, instead of trying to anticipate patterns and preferences, which is one level, what if I have, like Miguel has an iWatch. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's called? Or an Apple Apple Watch? Watch. He has an Apple Watch. Excuse me, uh, ghost of Steve Jobs. (laughs) So his Apple Watch could start to measure, um, you know, pulse and galvanic skin temperature and all these different things and monitor in real time sort of this comfort biometric signal. Mm-hmm. So I could send that to the cloud and I wouldn't even have to guess. I'd say he's uncomfortable right now or he's a 
in an area where he typically gets uncomfortable. Right. So I think what we're, we're touching with that is healthcare. So that's one mm-hmm. where. So when you when you start, you know, linking in with your doctors, linking mm-hmm. in with. I mean, healthcare is a huge issue, right? Not, not just how it works, but everything. Yeah, yeah. And so once the home comfort and a home environment becomes related to to a healthcare. And then you connect it to your doctors and say, well, you know, I'm feeling bad. I have asthma issues or whatever. Well, and he looks at your dad and says, well, yeah, of course, you have something in your house that's not good for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so these kind of added values on a systemic level might be also something to drive. Fascinating. So healthcare in the home occurring in real time over cloud, cloud-based biometrics. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we've seen a lot of wow. the discussion writ large kind of shift towards people thinking about healthy homes, kind yeah. of what you were touching on earlier. And yeah. energy efficiency is not much of the primary concern that homeowners have anymore. Right. And I think there's still a huge educational gap and um, disparity that we still have to overcome. But people are, are much more apt to spend money when they think that it might make them healthier than right. mm-hmm. they might save a little money on their electric bill, right. which is kind of a reversal of kind of the assumption that was made throughout most of the 2000s. Absolutely. Yeah. And taking that out of the home into the business aspect, Mm -hmm. um, when we're all in our offices here, right? So as a business owner, you guys are the most, the biggest expense we have, right? Sorry. My human capital. (laughs) No, you're you're worth double what you're getting. (laughs) But let's say, you know, you you can imagine a um, conference room filled with uh, C-level executives and you know that there's a lot of intellectual capital that is the um, kind of the the engine of the company in terms of ideas and leadership well they're in that conference room and the co2 is 1300 parts per million so i've constrained or i've impaired their cognitive function right and so the business owner is not realizing oh their office their conference room is actually a very expensive liability Yeah, I mean that—that's the other thing that is that—that that comes back to you know people and 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 working with people, and not for the energy. Is that mm-hmm. if you look at uh, uh, commercial buildings, banks, and so on, then yeah, your most expensive things are are the people in there, right? So your so biggest. Let's take care of them. So well, so why not focus on that? And and energy is such a small part in general in reality that. If people are happy and productive, you will actually see the benefit of it rather than trying to save a few bucks and keep everybody cold or, or yeah, in, a, in mm-hmm. a too much of a CO2 uh, environment. Right. So, actually, you are with CAE, so Civil mm-hmm. Architectural and Environmental mm-hmm. Engineering. And architectural engineering is the side of architecture that's really thinking about the, the functionality, right? The, the right. engineering practices of the building. Um, architecture as a practice right now is is wanting to be more concerned with visual, spatial, and less with the function. Um, at the, least at, on the custom residential scale. And then you, the other problem is sort of at the developer-driven scale. It's like first cost, whatever we can just put up yeah. and, and get our money back quickly on. Right. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm curious, at UT, there's the School of Architecture, mm-hmm. and there's the School of Engineering, which has architectural engineering in it. Are they talking to each other? Yeah, it's a good question, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, of course we're talking to each other. We have, uh, next semester, I think, um, we have actually the capstone projects of both schools as one major project. Fantastic. So that's that's going to be a big push. 
where also my wife's uh, faculty in the School of Architecture as Interesting. A fact, I didn't and know that. teaches uh, building environmental controls for architects. Ah. Uh, so next we will also, and I teach the same for the architecture engineers next semester. Interesting. So huh. currently we plan to put these also in like one sort of project together. So we'll have both sides in one. Because the major issue is communication, and, mm -hmm. and once you're out of school, it goes off too quickly in the two directions. Mm -hmm. So while we have them in one location, so to speak, uh, we have to at least make them speak to each other. Yeah, yeah. I think and it's interesting that on campus we're also pretty far apart from each other. Now. Oh, it's it's dealing with geographically. Buildings. Geographically, it's also it couldn't almost not be farther. <laughs> oh, no. By it's the way, kind of an interesting metaphor for the the sensors, th right? That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the idea of you came out of robotics and engineering and now you're studying buildings. I think that's fantastic. Buildings as, as functional systems because ultimately a home needs to, one of the most important thing a home delivers to society is a healthy human being that's ready to engage and produce value and right. save the world. Um, if I go home every night and I breathe bad particles and you know I have moisture in my walls and I'm on Zyrtec all the time and it's not helping anybody. The costs just ripple out. But when it comes to um, your work right now, it's, you're, you're starting to shift it over into the health and buildings or thermal comfort in buildings. Right. I mean, where do you see it going? Yeah. I mean, we, I mentioned the lighting study, but the only reason we did lighting is because we had that set up there. So mm -hmm. I didn't need to do any ramp up and it just worked out of the box with little edifications. What we do now here at UT is we actually do thermal comfort. So we're preparing an experiment in one of the UT campuses, campus buildings, where uh, we will do a similar study, but we'll do a thermal comfort. So it will be, a, you know, 20, 40 offices. It will be the, the thermal environment. It will be radiant. We'll measure radiant, hopefully, if we can get it to work. And then thermal uh, temperature, humidity, outdoor conditions, and then also ask people how they feel. Uh, and so then we can afterwards create a system where it links back into their building management system so mm -hmm. and then actually act on it. So we see now we're monitoring the set points, we monitor the equipment, and then we will try to create, you know, pattern recognition system where then can say, okay, this is what people like or that particular person likes, uh, you know, make it useful for them. But there's no I health in that per se. And you're interviewing no, that's the correct. person. That's correct. So right now, there's no health in it. So we, we're not focusing on that in particular. I'm looking at turmoil in the beginning, and then in the next steps later on might be eventually uh, health. Mm -hmm. But the, 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 the point I was making before is, is that yeah, health is a, a minimum. So you need to say that's something that actually physicians need to study and say, okay, the, in these environments, we need to, you know, that's a healthy environment or that's when it becomes dangerous yeah it's not so much about asking people do you feel sick or not right so that's the the, the occupant-centered approach breaks down at that point right uh, i can ask you if you're hot or cold and you will feel colder than somebody else but you know if you're in a lot of co2 and you're just sleeping we know those things already so what we need to do there is just install the sensors monitor. Mm -hmm. write the monitors and create alarms um, and that's a cost issue it's not a mm -hmm. We know those things, right? <coughs> but developing the, the pattern recognition sort of intellectual property is really important to kind of moving that forward, right? Right, 
Right, so the developing that and, and the interesting thing about buildings when you think about it or at least that, that strikes me as interesting is that every building is different, mm -hmm. right? So now you can say every person is different in a building but take two people into the same building, they will act differently and then take the same person into different buildings it will again have mm -hmm. you know, different implications. And dealing with these kind of differences and if you go into residential it's even worse because then literally different people with different buildings and so now how do you find a method that um, you know scales up to a large amount of buildings and can adapt to people is where pattern recognition and, and artificial intelligence is, I think, the, the way to go. Mm -hmm. And that's different to, let's say, self-driving cars. It's different from airplanes, you know, the classical engineering domains where you have so many that it makes sense to create mathematical models and everything is the same and you can just optimize those and let them go and, you know, build them. Buildings are a mess, literally. Because mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. you're dealing with inconsistent data. You're dealing data with no data, uh -huh. you, you know, bad data, old data. I mean, the lifetime of a building, 50, 70 years, systems have been changed, p things have been added, you know, people have moved. Yeah. You don't know what's going on, so... so Mathematics for that. Are so you don't get to do a deterministic model, but you do have the ability to have an adaptive model that... Yeah. It is trying to control and keep right. environmental conditions in certain ranges. Right. Um, could that extend out? We, we remember early on in this podcast, we stopped talking about existing buildings and retrofits. Mm -hmm. If you had that adaptive control network and adapt, and you had sensors in the building, then you could really start to address, well, if you had systems too, really start to address indoor air quality in homes and thermal comfort in existing buildings. Right. The typical Austin home, you know, 1970s, 1980s home, it needs some help before you can really just change the performance of the systems to deliver health and comfort, right? You need to do duct sealing, almost for sure, and add an effective ventilation system, right? And point source exhaust system. So, the, and a yeah, I mean, there, are, there, are, there are many things. I mean, but, but in, 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 in different levels, you can do different things, right? I mean, if you just exchange your HVAC compressor or whatever, you will already improve the system, right? And if, even if you don't do anything on the house itself, and then you can do the ducting and so on. You mm -hmm. can also go on the controls and say, okay, we'll do that part. I mean, it's, uh, there are very many low-hanging fruits that are not necessarily considered because people don't realize it, right? Yeah, you don't know that your AC is not working or wasting energy. Or you just see your, your bill or polluting your lungs. Mm -hmm. You just see that your, uh, you know, you see energy bill, but you're cold, so you go, thank you, right? Once you're not cold, it's not working, you call the guy, he patches up, and then it mm -hmm. continues, right? But there is no continuous monitoring, and that's, again, where you might get added value with the Internet of Things if they are, you know, if you create startups or business models around this idea that, okay, we're just going to, you know, grab the data off your IC, and we're just going to watch it, you know, 15-minute data, whatever, mm -hmm. of all the components that are somewhat doing something, and we'll tell you how much better it could be, right? Those are the questions that you could do without updating the, the house necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the system is not working. Those things you don't see until you start. But you could detect them mm -hmm. with the data. Especially if that particular startup or company or whatever has many data. So like you said, you have many, many, not the same, but similar buildings with similar kind of systems. So if some you have outliers in there, or something that doesn't fit the pattern, mm -hmm. you will see it, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it, that's an interesting perspective, too. The data, who owns the data? 
um, Michael Blasnick, at least he, he used to be with Nest, um, Blasnick and Associates, amazing amount of uh, data coming out of Nest thermostats and the amount of insights and preference behavior uh, data that's embedded in that is just profound. You know, and he presents regularly and it's just fascinating. But it's interesting, there's always this point in the presentation where people ask questions and he's like, well, you, you know, um, I can't just give you my data file. Yeah. It's, it's private and it belongs to, I guess, Google. Um, well, is it Google or is it the person, right? That is the question. Like yeah, why? It's a question. And that's again now, does, if, if, if that thermostat provides me the value, the added value, that it's worth it for me to share my data, then it's another story. Right now, I don't know if it does. I would uh. question that. Um, but maybe at some point it will be that your HVAC guy knocks at your door and says, well, wait a minute, we saw that your AC is not working. Mm -hmm. And you're like, how did you know? Well, we have access, to, you know. So these kind of questions will come. And then the question again, back to privacy, yeah. who is owning the data? And, you know, yeah. do you agree by using the Nest thermostat to these kind of things? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's yeah. a very complicated ethics. That, that's it beyond is. the scope of building it science. Is. It is. However, it does <laughs> seem that at, at the most coarse level, the data is intended to accomplish a. Oh, I'm sorry, the sensor that is sourcing the data is intended to serve the occupant, mm -hmm. and so the downstream from the sensor is the data. So the data should serve the occupant, which means right. it should be the occupant's discretion on how it gets used and who gets right. it and who owns it. But currently, it's not. Is that right? I mean, I'm not. Can you get Nest data? Can anyone get Nest data off their thermostat? So uh, you can get your own Nest data, but I think uh, you're not allowed to save it. I Interesting. Think, I think that's how it is currently, but I, I, I might be wrong. Screenshots only? You, there is an API, so you can okay. build APIs made for companies to build apps onto Nest. Mm -hmm. I think. I'm not a Nest expert, so I'm, I'm, this might be all a little bit off. Okay. Uh, but you can actually, and but the access goes through the internet, so your Nest has to be on the Wi-Fi or whatever, and then you can log into it and get your data off, and you see when your you change your set points, what the current set points are, you can change it. So you know, but I think the API forbids you from monitoring, from saving the data long term, huh. if I correct. Mm -hmm. The same analogy is though with, with Gmail. I mean, y you have Gmail is free, right? Tons of data, it's free email. What you get out of it is, you know, you don't need to pay for email. What you pay for it is, you know, banner ads, banner ads and, and targeted ads and so on. So we're already living in this world. This just extends from the digital into the physical world somehow. That, that's this link, right? Yeah, yeah. And the other link is security. So we talked about healthcare. The other part is security, where Nest is also having a security camera and security thing, and all the smart home companies like or, or features from Samsung or Panasonic, uh, Philips, are having safety features, which is yeah. there where they see the value added, not so much in the energy mm -hmm. uh, of the buildings. Fascinating. Yeah, it reminds me. Um what was it? Tom Cruise in a movie called Minority Report. In the beginning of that movie, or during that movie, it's like these targeted commercials as he's walking yeah. around. The future is here now. I mean, that's happening now. We're almost there, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and yet here we are, you know, living in the future, and our homes and buildings are still very gradually catching up to us. Um, I, I don't know. We're not the experts on it, but why do you think that is? I mean, just. There, there is a, lot, a big inertia in, in the buildings, right? So because you're 
Because blinks have such a long time span that you're not used to changing things quickly. Ah, interesting, yeah. Um, I think it's the... And the industry that delivers buildings... It's likewise slow, yeah, right? It's set up um, to be yeah. slow. I mean, if you compare buildings industry to cars or airplanes, you, you would probably not set yourself into a car that was built in the 1970s anymore. And mm -hmm. yet your house is built in the 1970s and your systems have been updated 10 years ago. But your car, probably you would not drive a car at that standards the way, you know, you right. accept your house. Yeah. Same with, you know, the light switches and so on. I mean, there's, you know, there are easier ways or better ways or there's just, you know, the, the inertia and changing things in buildings, it's just much, much larger mm -hmm. I think and that's that's just the way it is I yeah think. yeah and <laughs> the cars is a great one it's kind of like yeah. uh, in cars they've gotten so much better and they continue to evolve I mean AI yeah. is, is coming into their strong but homes we assume they're fine right that's the thing yep. and our sensors are fairly coarse especially when it comes to health sensors mm -hmm. so there's this implicit assumption that there's really nothing needed to be fixed but that's wrong yeah, I mean, the house is not a consumer product. You don't exchange it every few years, right, like you do with a car. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and, and you don't know. It's been always like that. You you got used to it, and once you get used to it, you don't really know that something's wrong. Only if you're out of it for a very long time, and then you go back, you will mm -hmm. realize, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's the issue. The reason, the reason this is interesting in the, in the context of controls and the Internet of Things and almost thinking of adaptive systems like little the house becomes a robot to serve my lifestyle um, all that's ready to happen we just need to have society say hey I'm interested in that happening and it's a push-pull situation right? it's yeah it's it's happening the technologies there you see it everywhere like these are all these companies coming with the smart home solutions the cell phones did a big push to get these you know gadgets work for you uh, but but I think we're circling back to at the beginning of when we talked about value. So where is the the, the killer app, so to speak? Where yeah, is yeah, the big the thing? Yeah, home dashboards never worked. Or having yeah, that. home dashboards never worked. Is it now the home interface, the Google Speak or whatever it's called, Google mm -hmm. Home or, or Alexia or uh, yeah, yeah. Apple's? Like, is that it, right? Where you can just speak and that will then turn on your TV and run your, your, your Netflix and then move your thermostat. And is that it or not? And how much is that of that actually part of the health again? So we're circling back to that again. Can we get somehow, you know, what if insurance companies said, if you let us monitor your environment, we'll give you a break on your um, yeah, health insurance. Health insurance, you know, I mean, these things, now that the technology is there, I think the business side needs to be worked out. Oh, and vice versa, though. If we monitor your environment and you're smoking all the time, exactly. we're going to raise your rates. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. Or you bought that carpet padding with uh, phthalates in it. <laughs> yeah, your, your house is off-gassing stuff. It's normal that so you're We're, we're going to raise your health insurance rate. That's fascinating. Well, yeah, whether it's ethical or not, it's another question. The, the point is that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the point is, uh, it's, uh, it's the technology is there, and, and the regulators are in need to, to put in place things to deal with privacy, who gets the data, because, yeah, I mean health data is more much more sensitive than energy data and so that's that's going to be a big big question i think for the coming 10 10 years or so. mm -hmm. okay so we're getting towards the end here so controls and sensors are undoubtedly in the process of proliferating or let me say it more accurately sensors are undoubtedly in the process of proliferating right and this 
this expands the opportunity for different control regimes. And you're interested in looking at ad adaptive and, and self-learning based controls, is that right? right? And you're thinking about it from the thermal comfort perspective and so for me, the health perspective. Yeah, the health, I, I think it encompasses all of it. So when you think about the fact that, like we said before, you need people, so, so the systems are, you know, unique. So that's one thing you have to deal with. And people are unique. That's another thing you have to deal with. And that's when... And the a, buildings are unique. Buildings are unique. <laughs> Everything is unique. Everything is a prototype. And that's why you need adaptive systems, right? And so we work with what we what is called reinforcement learning. Uh, approaches and that's that's basically the fact that you don't have models but you try to get to your best solution through interaction and so whether that is strictly on a system where you know the system does something observes what happens takes note improves over time or literally the person giving some kind of feedback saying okay I like this I don't like this those are rules right no, this is feedback. So, so that's feedback. literally, okay. So, for example, the light, the simple one is the light goes on, for whatever reason, person goes back, turns it off, then the system knows, okay, yeah. didn't like that for this, you know, this environment, this was a bad decision, I will not do that anymore. I see. So you can teach your house at some point, like the way you teach a dog. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, you say, okay, I like this, I don't like this, and over time you can adapt. The house will adapt to the people, the people will adapt to the house. There is a dual thing here going on. And the same with the systems. And and what I like about this approach is that it's scalable because yeah, everything is different, so you can just deploy it everywhere basically and then it should work. And it learns its new adaptive Hopefully. rules. Uh -huh. Hopefully it works and uh, and it's made to deal with people. So it's you know, the framework is this interaction. So if you cr create a system where you can get the interaction or the, the feedback from the people directly, then you win. And it has to be natural and not some, you know, app where you have to mm -hmm. zip through five menu points to set some kind of temperature. But it needs to be simple. Yeah. That's that's that. So that last topic. So Internet of Things versus simplicity, right? So Internet of Things, it's weird, Zoltan. It's, it's like it goes both ways. It seems to make things very simple. You don't do anything. A system learns on its own. It's thinking for you. Yet it relies on power and the Internet and an Internet connection and... So how do you, how would you evaluate the Internet of Things versus keeping things as simple as possible but no simpler? I think that that's an interesting question. I think in in many ways those are not exclusive. The idea is that Internet of Things will make things simpler because you're always connected and you're always on, so to speak, ideally. Mm -hmm. uh, and the and and the, the fact that you're connecting through the internet um, also helps it to be decentralized. So you don't need this one node or, or center brain in your home that takes care of everything where everything connects to but you can add and remove nodes as you go basically and it will still work for you mm -hmm. and in a way that's simple because it's resilient or, or mm -hmm. you know um, robust right uh, and, and so that's why I think that will be an interesting approach in the future and whether that actually you, you don't have to go directly through the internet you can have these with you know the the other protocols that exist whether you just do it in your own house through wi-fi uh whether you do it over a zigbee network or the the, the bluetooth networks that exist those all work uh, provided you have power of course so mm -hmm. the time that you need and i think you can assume power yeah yeah 
But so you're saying the control system could be in the house and not out there on the cloud. Right, absolutely. So so when we say it's, it's you know, AI or the self-learning things, it does not have to connect anywhere. I mean, you, you can have that in your home and that's it. And then you just do it there. Interesting. Right? Okay. So what, what you're making me r- reminded of is the reality that today having an internet signal everywhere it's just starting to become like oh of course you know pretty much everywhere you know if you if you find yourself somewhere without you can't get to the internet it's it's maybe yep. a relief actually that's why people go camping or something now but it's like um so we have a building in downtown Austin here and it's going to have electricity utility it's going to have natural gas and it's going to have a sewer line and it's going to have water supply and we think of that as completely normal, that we have those services of energy flows. And it's also going to have an information source, right? So we need to realize that this this flow of information to and from, from our buildings and in and out of our brains, you know, in and out of the Internet, in and out of our brains, is in fact like a new utility. It is, yes. And we can leverage it to do many, many different functions. And one of them is to... to take professors like you and add value to society <laughs> hopefully hopefully yeah yeah that that is probably a good place to wrap up it should be as simple as possible but no but simpler, simpler. <laughs> um, alright well thank you very much for spending the time talking with us thanks for having me that's it you guys we'll uh, be back next time appreciate you listening <laughs>